Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the city of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. Thank you. Thank you for joining us online today. And even as we mentioned in our pastoral greetings this past week and even informed our community that we would be going back to an online-only format for this Sunday, and we're going to be taking this week by week, but thank you, worship team, for leading us so well. Love every single one of you and the gifts that you are to this church and to the entire community of Orange and beyond. But we have been letting you know that our, our posture right now is not to get stuck in the mud sometimes of where we see things and how we hear things. And our posture as a community is really to do our best to follow Jesus. And so rather than making it an issue of being stuck in the mud of like, should we meet, shouldn't we meet, we know that we can meet together like this in this format. And regardless of singing, we made sure that even the spacing of our worship team this morning had the appropriate six feet of distance needed. And we want you to be able to sing and enjoy life from the beauty of your own home or perhaps you're watching with friends. But church for us is never about a building. Since Refuge began a little over five years ago, we knew that we would never make our agenda or our vision a building. We knew that we wanted to follow Jesus wherever we go. And so for us, he's constantly on the move. And he's asking us as a community, as a church, to be flexible. And so it's being flexible even in a day like today that we want to say, hey, just join us from church on, online, church at home, and we can still worship together. So if you've got a Bible, and I want you to get one, whether it's on your phone, you can have a smart app, or you have that real old school book form, right? Some of you are like, I don't know. I, someone asked me a question last week. They're like, hey, are you into tree books or e-books? And I was like, whoa, why do I have to pit myself one or the other, right? Like as if I'm killing trees. But if you've got a real book that has pages in it, I want you to turn to the prophet Zechariah. Last week, we opened up the book of Genesis, right? The very first book of the Bible. The week prior to that, we opened up the book of Matthew, the very first book in the New Testament, right? There are two halves to the, the Bible. you got the Old Testament, the old Hebrew scriptures, and then we've got the New Testament, which tells the life of Jesus. So two weeks ago, first book of the New Testament. Last week, the first book of the Old Testament. And today, we're going to the second last book of the Old Testament, Zechariah. Again, one of my favorites. And you're like, really? And then I'm going to say, no. Um, not because I don't like this guy, I just don't read this guy that often. But this week, this passage popped out to me. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to Zechariah chapter 9, and this is where we find ourselves. And I do want to give you a quick word and perhaps even some helpful insight how it is that we read Zechariah, because he's a prophet. He is an Old Testament prophet. He's got a prophetic voice. And sometimes when the prophets speak, they actually take on God's voice. And you're like, how do they do that? No, no, they would say that we're speaking on behalf of God to the people. And so for Zechariah, who comes at the end of the Old Testament, he is speaking to people that have been exiled, and they are on the verge of returning. And so for him, most scholars would say that he would be in existence around the reign of King Darius I, who was the king at the time who allowed many of the Old Testament Hebrew people to come back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And so for him, he is speaking to them as a people group. And so there are words that come up that he speaks on behalf of God for what God is doing to them and how God is challenging them. So that's one word. Secondly, have you ever been in a conversation with someone where 
And this often happens perhaps if they're learning language. Sometimes it might be a kid or sometimes an adult where you're trying to figure out what tense are you using? Meaning, um, am I coming from a place of first-person narrative, second-person, third-person, right? Have you ever talked to someone who speaks about themselves in the third person? And sometimes you're like, well, hold on a second. Is Brenton talking about himself right now? And you're like, yes, I am, right? So you got to understand the speech pattern that happens even in a prophetic voice like Zechariah because when we hear this, it's not just Zechariah who's recording something that happened. He's speaking on behalf of God, and there's a switch in the tense, and, and you have to understand that, how that happens. And so Just follow along with me, all right? So here we go. Zechariah chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. And we're only reading 9, 10, 11, and 12. So four quick verses. It might even sound familiar. Here we go. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I read this passage with my 11-year-old son this morning, and I said, Micah, do you know what's going on? And he's like, nope. Like, fair. Because some of us, when we go through this, you're like, it sounds like I'm supposed to just eat my vegetables right now. When I read this portion of scripture, there's no warm and fuzzies. There's no like quotable moment that I'm going to plast onto my Instagram feed. And you're like, what's happening? It's a bit like watching Hamilton. You're like, what's going on right now? What are they singing, saying? What are they talking about? And without a context for what's happening, you miss so much of the depth. And I warned you, it might actually sound familiar. It's interesting, this passage of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 12, often gets read during Passion Week. Passion Week is that Easter week, that lead up to when Jesus goes to the cross as he walks into Jerusalem. Actually, he doesn't walk into Jerusalem, he walks in on a donkey. And he knew what he was about to do, and so he tells his disciples to go get a donkey from someone in town, bring it back, and that's how Jesus enters Jerusalem. And so every time that we come into Holy Week or Palm Sunday, we read this passage because it's calling to mind what Jesus did, but also with an Old Testament understanding of, oh wait, Jesus is doing something that would have been so familiar to everybody out there. So when Jesus rides into town on a donkey, everybody who knew the scriptures would have been like, oh, this is Zechariah 9. And for us, we're waking up to it. But I love the fact that as we have walked through the liturgical calendar and the lectionary readings that guide us as a church right now, we get to Zechariah in the heat of summer, not at Easter time in the spring. And in the heat of summer, we get to take this angle and understand differently rather than just seeing Jesus in this. And like the song that we just finished singing says that Jesus is the center. Yes, Jesus is the center even of this text. But for this text to really have importance for us, we got to understand what did it mean to the first people who heard it? Right? You got to go back. You got to peel back the layers of the onion, if you will, and get at the heart of what it is that Zechariah is trying to communicate on behalf of God to the people. And so this is not just about Jesus, yet it is. I read a book this past year 
The title was Cross Vision. And the intent of the author was to peer back and look into the Old Testament and see everything through the lens of the cross, which is helpful. It helps make sense of some of those really hard, hard places in the Old Testament. We're like, really, is that God's character? And it's a challenging book, but he would say, the author of that book would say, there's even a sense that as we look to Zechariah, there is a lens that we look through that we can't help but see Jesus. But before we put that lens on, let's just kind of digest a little bit about what Zechariah was trying to get at. Because there's such depth here. And as you look at this, go back to verse 9, if you will. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The king, the one who's going to fix everything, the character of God that gets described by Zechariah here, is a king who comes into town with humility. He's a king who comes into town with power, but it's not the kind of power that the world celebrates and worships. We're out there right now striving for power. You just look to our news. You look, I don't care what version of the news you look at. It doesn't matter. Everyone and their mother is trying to strive for power. It's as if, as if I get power and I hold on to power, then I'm worth it. But it's interesting to me, as we read this passage, we understand who the king is, who it is that God's character really resembles, And it's a king who walks into town in a place of humility. But not just with humility, because some people are like, humility, that's not really an attribute of power. Oh, but it is for this king. But in addition to having humility, he comes to you righteous and having salvation. Right? It's as if he is saying, oh, this is the one who's going to redeem and fix everything. This is the one who walks into town, walks and and rides into town on this donkey. And he's going to fix everything. And there's not a person amongst us who doesn't read this passage. It's like, that's, that's good news. But is it a pipe dream? Is Zechariah just talking about some figment of an ima- his imagination? And for the early readers who would have read this, centuries before Jesus showed up. Did you catch that? Centuries before Jesus showed up. Zechariah was writing on behalf of God, and he communicates to the people that there's a king who's coming into town who's going to fix things and is going to make things right. That's the righteousness of who God is, right? When we speak of that righteousness of God, it's a God who's committed to his word and his character. And he's going to keep it, and he's going to fix it. So that's the kind of king who walks into town and rides into town on the donkey. All right, let's continue. Go to verse 10. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. The battle bow. Oh, it's like a bow and arrow. How people fought. He, this is the verse, the tense change, right? No longer is it first person, now it's going to a different. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea. Sounds like some version of an American song where we talk about sea to shining sea, right? Say that five times fast. But this rule of his king extends beyond just the boundaries of a country and from the river to the ends of the earth. And again, it's hard to do that in 2020, but put yourself in the position of people who would have been listening to this and hearing this for the first time hundreds of years before Jesus showed up. If you have a concept about who Jesus is, there's a sense for followers of him like you and me, and perhaps some of you who are even listening in and tuning in, you're still on the fence about Jesus. You're not sure if he really is the answer. But so many people would say, oh, he's the one who 
brings this to fruition. He's the one who fulfills this. But it's this kingly attribute that gets described by Zechariah. It's a king who comes to town, who's going to come with humility, but he's going to come with reconciliation. He's going to come with redemption in mind. He's going to bring the full essence of salvation, which ultimately means he's going to fix it. But did you hear what he's about to do? He rides it on a donkey. Nobody, nobody rides into town to express power on a donkey. That's not a powerful animal. That's like you brought the wrong thing to the fight, right? Like you don't show up with a donkey if you want to win. If you want to show up and win the, win the war, you show up with a war horse. You show up with something more powerful. And that's exactly what even Jesus and people who came well before Jesus would have recognized. Because how do they fight their wars? They fought it with horses. This is exactly what people in that day would have, would have recognized. That's how Darius the first was king, because he won. And then a couple of centuries later, we get to a guy that so many of us have learned about in our history classes. You get to a guy named Alexander the Great, who Hellenized the world with Greek culture. But how did he do it? He didn't come and just be like, hey, would you please believe me? He came with his war horses and his stallions. And you, you know that phrase, oh, that person's just up on their high horse, right? This position of power. Oh, you just got something to say. You want to put someone down. Because that's the image we get when we want to have power. Like, give me something powerful. But isn't it interesting that the king gets described here in Zechariah comes in on a donkey, humility, at its best. But he's also going to, did you catch? I will take away the chariots a war-fighting machine. I will take away the war horses from Jerusalem, more war-fighting machines, and, I will, <laughs> and the battle bow will be broken. I'm going to take those bows and arrows, those swords that you demand to fight with, and I'm going to put them away. Because this is how the heart of God comes out from the prophet Zechariah's voice. All right, let's move to verse 11, because there's still so much more going on here. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, this ultimately says, because I'm keeping my word to you, my covenant. Covenant language rarely gets used these days. More often than not, we use things like, uh, what's the agreement or perhaps the contract? But covenant, there's one place that we still talk about covenant. It's in a place called marriage. I did a wedding last week, yes, even in coronavirus. Did a wedding, it was be turned into a backyard wedding. Just about 18 people gathered, and we watched these two people say yes to one another and commit themselves to one another. But they didn't sign an agreement like they're committing a business relationship. They actually are committing to one another in a covenant. And it actually speaks of more commitment than just a business arrangement. Because sometimes when we write our business deals, we still look for the loopholes or the exceptions to the rule that if you break this, I'm leaving it. But interestingly enough, for this king that gets described here, he knows full well that the people have broken their word time and time again. And he could get out if he wants to. But he's so committed to his people that in the midst of their own sin and disobeying, he will remain committed. I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit, second half of verse 11 says. The waterless pit. Why that image? Well, because this person would have known his Old Testament history. He would have known that there's a story in Genesis that talks about a waterless pit. It talks about a boy named Joseph who demanded respect from his brothers and wore his technicolor dream coat, as Andrew Lloyd Webber said. 
And when he walked into town, prancing around, if you will, with his coat of many colors, this robe that his dad gave him, his brothers were not impressed. And so they beat him up, left him for dead, and then they put him in a waterless pit until some people came along and they could sell him off into slavery. And so this writer, this prophet Zechariah, knows he is saying something super profound and powerful when he says, waterless pit. I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. I will get you out of the murky situation that you're in. I will rescue you from being sold into slavery. And this is imagery that is more than just literal talk. He is communicating even into hearts and souls in 2020 because he's reminding the people even today that the kind of God that this God is, is a God who doesn't leave us hanging even in our worst places. He doesn't leave his people when they are hopeless. And then we get to verse 12, and we kind of finish things off. And he says with power, Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. What does that mean, this idea of return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope? It's ultimately having a concept that I will allow hope to reign inside me rather than fear, rather than being caught up in the anxiety of the moment and allow myself to just travel and spiral downwards and not understand what's really happening right now. And that's it's a, it's a pretty apt description of the world that we live in to this day. Because so much of our world would love to tell you that it's all going to hell. And there's a God that we serve. There's a God that gets described more than 2,000 years ago. And he says to his people, I'm going to keep my word to you. I'm going to get you out of that waterless pit that you're in. But I need to remind you that you are prisoners of hope. What does that mean? To be bound by something? If you're going to be bound by something, don't be, remain bound in your sin. Remain bound in hope. Because that hope is the thing that produces something within our souls that projects us forward and allows us to make sense of the ever-shifting sands of our culture around us. I don't care what side of the aisle you're in. I feel like that phrase is stupid. There's got to be more ways to see things than just one or the other. When we consider who God is and how he is working, he's actually calling us to understand that Jesus is the center because Jesus is the one who resembles the king in Zechariah. The kind of God that we serve is the kind of God who remains committed to his people, getting them out of the miry pit. And he's also the kind of God that says, I want you to retain your hope. So I'm not sure what you go through right now. I'm not sure if you have sensed in this past week there is no hope. But when I read these words of Zechariah, I am reminded of a God and his commitment to me and to the people like me who want to be followers of Jesus. Because as Jesus resembles and as Jesus gives us a picture of who God is, we understand the kind of character that God has for us. It's the character of a God who's not letting us down. And it's the kind of God that allows us to hope when things seem hopeless. So I'm not sure what your hopeless situation is. If it's about singing in church or not singing in church. I'm not sure if it's about face masks or not face masks. That can't be a political issue, right? It's got to be more than that. 
And when we consider even walking into an election season, we're like, well, this person is the one who's going to bring us hope. Do you see the problem in that? We have completely divested ourselves of commitment to the king when we assume that one person, regardless of party affiliation, is going to answer the problems. Because for me and for you, when we open up scripture, we open up God's word and we hear his heartbeat. And his heartbeat is to say, put away the weapons of war, the things that have divided you for so long. And would you again take up hope? Would you shoulder hope as if it's the right kind of burden to bear? And remind people wherever you go that God is on the move. He is alive and well and he will not forsake his people even this week, July 5th and beyond. So I don't know what the hopeless situation is for you. If it's the diagnosis that you just got. If it's the break in that relationship that you want reconciliation for. If it's that moment that you have been tempted to turn away because everything has seemed lost to you. There's a God who is committed to his people. There is a God who says, for millennium I have kept my word and I will not stop keeping my word. I will continue to do that even until the last days. That's the kind of God who's worth following. That's the kind of God who's worth proclaiming about. And that's the story that we want to tell on this week, a day after the birthday of our country where we celebrate the freedoms that we have. Can you imagine what it would have been like a few hundred years ago when we fought those original battles to proclaim freedom for a land? But here's the deal. If you take the spiritual connotation of that storyline and remind ourselves that God's in the business of bringing freedom to our souls in ways that we can't even understand or imagine, that's the kind of God we serve. That's his heart and his commitment to you and to me and to this week. So may Zechariah be a part of your reading this week. Read the rest of it. Read how else God is. And I bet you'll be impressed with the goodness of God that gets described even in those old scriptures that sometimes we put away all too quickly. Understand what's happening. Understand a God who's on the move and is for us. He's for our redemption and reconciliation. And he wants to mend the broken fences. He wants to reclaim his people, and he wants to redeem our stories. So let's look for him this week. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the way that when we open up your scriptures, we can't help but see you at work. We can't help but see how it is that you dealt with people so long ago, but that actually informs how you deal with people today. I pray for those who are listening and watching and who will even do so into the future, that regardless of our circumstances and the hills that we have to climb this week, and perhaps it's, it might be even a relational thing, the people in our lives that perhaps are difficult at times, and we are wondering, can I possibly deal with them again this week? God is saying, I want to help. I want to be the kind of God who brings the redemption and the reconciliation in that moment. God, would you do that for us? Would you bring healing where healing is needed, even for those who are suffering in bodily form this week? Would you bring healing to bodies that need it most? At the same time, God, would you heal our land? It is, does not take a rocket, science, rocket scientist to understand that there is division and brokenness all around us. And when we make someone in this world the answer, 
we will always be left wanting. But when we make you the center, when we again allow you to be king of your kingdom, and you welcome us into that, we will have eyes to see what you're doing and how you are on the move to fix this place. And yet you will still use people like us to help. Help us know how to do that this week. Help us to operate out of power because you have not left us or forsaken us. We want to go from this place. We want to go from our homes even today and proclaim the goodness of who you are and your kingdom. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for joining us online for church today. We'll continue to give you more information about what the future Sundays will look like. Continue to join us on our social media feeds. You can always connect with us online. If you head to refugeoc.com forward slash connect forward slash weekly shoot forward slash church at home. I feel like we should just be forward slashing a lot right now. But you've got opportunities to connect with us as we continue to serve the community of Orange and beyond and wherever you're joining with us. There are people who are online even right now. So if you have prayer requests, you'd like to jot that in, send a, di- a direct message or even a link in, or a, a mention of uh, a, something to be said in the feed. We will connect with you. But be blessed this week as you look to see the God who is on the move, the God who is going to fix things, the God who is in the business of redeeming. And he's beautiful to watch. Peace be with you. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at RefugeChurchOC. We hope to see you again soon.